All right. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Andrew. And um, for those that don't know, maybe just a little bit about your background. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe take, a, take us way back. Um, <laughs> take us to like, you know, when did you first have the idea of becoming a banker? Like, when did you know that like that was a, you know, a skill, that that was a passion? Um, how did you kind of get where you are? So, uh, once again, I appreciate you having me here today, and I'll say this, uh, much like many others, uh, I did not start out wanting to be a banker, and that wasn't uh, my aim coming out of uh, undergrad and when I was in high school and so forth. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, coming out of undergrad, I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I had done some, uh, I actually wanted to be a screenwriter done some screenwriting on the creative side I had actually written two full-length screenplays and no way (laughs) uh, I went and worked for a newspaper for two years Uh, I actually got a job in the circulation department because they wouldn't hire me in the in the uh, editorial department right out of school Uh, and I attempted to be a writer uh, while all my friends went into I guess the business world uh, is what we would have called it back then. Um, After about two years, I realized that it was going to take me a long time uh, and that uh, it may not work out on the screenplay side. So I actually went to work for a furniture manufacturer. I went to undergraduate school in High Point University, which if you know anything about High Point, it's the people call it the furniture capital of the world. Right. Um, and I was actually a, I went through a six month training program at, at the furniture manufacturer. It was a company called Rowe Furniture. They're still around. I think they're owned by a private equity firm now, uh, much like a lot of furniture uh, manufacturers in the U.S. Uh, and I essentially learned how to make furniture, upholstered furniture. And then I became what we call a marketing representative. I was actually, it was more like a manufacturer's rep. And I was given a territory uh, and I called on uh, large retailers. Uh, so back then, this was in the early 90s, I was uh, early to late 90, or mid 90s, um, I was calling on Levitt's Furniture, which was, a, was probably the uh, US, largest US retailer of furniture back then. I was calling on Sears, Home Life, uh, Z Gallery, which I think Z Gallery is still, still around. Uh, and essentially, I was just selling, you know, upholstered furniture to their buyers, uh, and then training their salespeople. Uh, and I spent a few years doing that. I actually lived in Southern California. I covered a territory that included Las Vegas to Los Angeles to to San Diego. It was a great. That great sounds like a great market. territory. Yeah. <laughs> um, Probably a lot of competition. Also, there was. Um, but I enjoyed it, and it was a good product. Um, you know, if you've got a good product, product that goes a long way uh, from a sales perspective. Um, and we had some big accounts and so forth. And so I spent a lot of my time traveling uh, between those three cities and, and calling on accounts. Um, I did see some things. You and I talked about vision, uh, forward vision. Uh, a little while ago, and I, I saw some things in the industry that made me a little nervous. Uh, one was the Chinese manufacturers were, were coming online. We were starting to see competition there, and 
I could see that hap, you know, see that coming to fruition. Uh, lower price points with comparable products, uh, and so I decided to leave the furniture industry and go to grad school. So I went and got my pursued my MBA. Uh, I moved to the East Coast, went to George Washington University full time, and. I came out of GW in 2000, early 2002, so 9-11 had just occurred. We had gone through a slight recession. And back then, if you went through B-School and got your MBA, you're either going to be an investment banker or a consultant, uh, which was uh, for the schools that, that, uh, that I had looked at. And um, lo and behold, I had an offer from... Uh, two consulting firms, two offers from consulting firms. I have an, and an offer from the U.S. government as a contracts administrator. And then I had an offer from a bank. Uh, it was BB&T Bank, large uh, regional bank, super regional. And the economy had gone through a slight recession, so I was hoping to get more offers, and I did not. Uh, and I decided to go the route of banking and the main reason I went that route was I wanted to shore up my financial side. I had the sales piece down from the furniture manufacturer. I kind of had the marketing piece down, uh, but I felt like it would round me out further if I learned a little bit more and developed further on the finance side. Uh, let me see. 18 years later, I am still in banking, uh, so it turned out to be a good choice. I uh, went through that credit training program as a leadership development program, which still exists with BB&T. Now they're called Truist um, with their merger with SunTrust. And I went into a commercial banking track and came out as a commercial banker, basically calling on uh, business banking companies, uh, middle market companies uh, on their traditional banking needs. Uh, I worked in Northern Virginia for several years and over time just rose up. I was promoted to a team leader uh, and then promoted to a group leader. I was moved with mergers, banking industry, you see a lot of M&A. Uh, and so I was moved to different teams uh, through those mergers. And in 2012, I was asked to relocate from DC to Hampton Roads because of a merger. I was with PNC Bank at the time, which is another large super regional. And PNC had acquired the American assets of a bank called RBC, which is Royal Bank of Canada, uh, which was based in Raleigh. And I was essentially asked to move to Hampton Roads. And I think my boss said, "See what, go down there, see what we've got. Uh, you may be back in a year or you may not. Uh, Eight years later, I'm still in Hampton Roads, and it's been really good. Uh, and as of today, uh, I'm with Atlantic Union Bank, so I've been with Atlantic Union just over two years, and I'm the regional president in the what we call the coastal region, which is a Hampton, is basically Hampton Roads, eastern North Carolina, and the eastern shore of Virginia. So. Nice. I had a question about kind of the B-School experience because think that can be a uh, you know kind of an interesting experience that uh, I think it to your point like around that time it was kind of like banking consulting uh, I'm curious how you got the offers in the first place because like to your point it's after 9-11 and um, you know you're uh, 
you know, what you went to a great school. So like maybe walk through the process. Was there on campus kind of, you know, recruitment or like, did you just have to kind of send out a bunch of resumes? Like, how did you kind of sell yourself, you know, into this like new industry? Because you also were kind of pivoting your industry or your career at that point too. Yeah, so that's a great question. So when I started out in business school, uh, my focus was marketing and entrepreneurship. Um, and I ended up getting a, I had a concentration in, in entrepreneurship. Uh, and really my thinking going into business school was I wanted to develop further on the marketing side, specifically more on product management, product development. Um, I always, some of the thinking behind that always excited me. Um, every school has, has a, a department that helps uh, on, the, on that side, development department that helps with getting you in front of employers, helping you with lists of companies and decision makers. And back then, you know, it was a little bit different from a technological standpoint. Um, I mean, it was sending resumes. And I sent a lot of resumes to uh, a lot of product-oriented companies like um, Procter & Gamble and so forth. And coming out of that slight recession after 9-11, they just, none of them were hiring. Um, so I then, getting into my final semester, I started to, to open, broaden my um, approach to possible employers thinking that maybe because of timing from a recessionary standpoint and cycle cyclical standpoint, maybe I needed to go somewhere for a short period of time then I'll reevaluate um, trying to, to get back into marketing. Um, so I used some of those resources within the school uh, and lo and behold, as, as we talked about a little earlier, consulting firms like MBAs, um, banks like hiring MBAs because they have a very broad skill set um, and they're they're knowledgeable in a lot of different areas so using those resources with the school they put me in front of a, a handful of companies um, I interviewed probably with maybe six to eight companies and that's where those those offers came about I do often wonder if I would have went the consulting route what would be different now on the banking side they were attracted to the entrepreneurship concentration. Uh, as you know, being a banker or in commercial banking, you know, you spend your time talking to entrepreneurs uh, and listening. So I think that's probably what BB&T was interested in when they had interviewed me. They had a pretty significant process. So you, you went through some rigorous testing, personality testing and so forth. And somehow I got through those and, and was selected. And I will admit, um, from an economic standpoint, uh, BB&T gave me the largest sign-on bonus. Uh, and I did have some student debt uh, coming out of school. So that played a factor. Uh, not only did I want to develop the finance side, because I thought that was a weakness for me, um, and I thought it would, would help round me out further, um, I also had some debt, and BB&T went a long way to helping me pay that off. So uh, it, it was a process, and it, a lot of it depends on the cycle. You know, right now we're in a very strong economy. Unemployment's uh, at historic lows. 
So people coming out of school should have, you know, a plethora of options. Now, you still got to keep your options open because there are certain industries that are doing better than others and certain industries that look for certain attributes in candidates. Um, so you got to keep your mind a little bit open from that standpoint. But um, the cycle is good right now. So. No, that's great. And, um, you know, kind of fast forwarding a bit. So you started with BB&T and then you spent several years there. How did you kind of, how did you, you know, maybe talk through like, you know, kind of like how your time went there. I know you went through some training, credit, um, maybe give me one takeaway from there and then like how you landed at your next bank from there. Like how did you actually leave? Were you like recruited or like, you know, did you, um, I don't know, like, I know it was a lot of M&A. Sure. Yeah, so BB&T, I went through what's called their, uh, back then it was called MDP programs, Management Development Program. I think today they call it LDP, Leadership Development Program. And it had a portion that was a, a credit training or finance training, an in-depth finance training uh, piece. But it also, it was really their leadership development sort of bench um, so that was, that was actually a great training program. It still exists today. Um, BB&T has, has now merged with SunTrust Bank. Um, that consummated, I believe, January. Uh, it might have been late December. Uh, their new name's gonna be Truist. There's a lot of buzz about that name in, bank, in the banking industry. Not a lot of people love the name Truist. Uh, it's certainly very different. Um, but I was at BB&T for about three years. Um, I uh, essentially was, you know, probably my success there was driven almost solely on leadership. I went to work for a manager who was fantastic. Uh, he really taught me uh, the ins and outs of the job of being a banker. Um, and, you know, I had, I had the base, base piece set down in the sense that I, I like, I work, I like to work hard. You and I talked about this before. I like to I'd rather be doing than not doing, um, and I know you're, you're very similar. Um, and so having a good teacher really, really went a long way for me. So I, I probably developed quicker than some people might develop. Um, I then moved to PNC. They recruited me uh, a few years later. They were entering the Washington, D.C. market. Uh, I'm a firm believer in while... I think you should be loyal to, you know, organizations uh, and employers, but I am a believer in if you've got a long-term vision on what you want to, to accomplish with your career, there are certain points in your career that you, you need to make a strategic step. Uh, and with PNC entering into Washington, D.C. as a new bank, uh, they were a super regional bank. Um, they, had, they basically didn't have a team, and so I was their first hire. So to be able to get into a ground floor situation on the commercial banking side, that, that was really positive for me, and it, I think it allowed me to accelerate my career uh, in terms of you know, leapfrogging certain steps that maybe others, others have taken. So I was, within a short period of time, I was made a team leader uh, and then a short period of time after that, I became a group leader. So, you know, back to your, your question, I think, you know, you, you learn and you embrace the moment 
and uh, in, in every moment that you're in, but you also have a long-term vision of what you're trying to accomplish, both in life and professionally, and hopefully those meld together. Um, and there are points in your career where you will come across an opportunity that allows you to further that uh, vision more rapidly or accelerate it. Uh, and the key with that is it has to, you have to be going to a new opportunity. You can't be running from uh, something. It's got to be running to a new opportunity that helps you accelerate you know, your vision, your personal vision. And you can't do it. You shouldn't, you know, in my, my opinion, you shouldn't do it every, every year, every two years. You have to be really thoughtful about it. And it has to be strategic. But um, so, it, you know, I've been in banking, eight, commercial banking, about 18 almost 19 years and I've moved three times in banking and you know you come across bankers who've moved every two years and they've moved six or seven times and you can tell it, it hasn't hasn't worked well for them so you know you have to be really thoughtful about it so how did you learn leadership and management um, when, like how do you go about just thinking about leading a team thinking about um, you know, delegation. I know you have a handful of mark, you know, territories and markets that are all under your uh, watch. How do you kind of think about, you know, developing talent and, and even just bringing talent in the door? That's a great question. There's a lot of, lot of thought about that, a lot of different thoughts. And there's a lot of discussion about emotional intelligence, whether or not you can you, you have to start out with it or whether or not it's learned uh, i do think there are some people that do have a certain level of emotional intelligence maybe because of their upbringing maybe because of their genetic background um that do have um you know some of it up front i'm also a believer that you can learn a, a great deal of it and you know, from my standpoint, I think you have a you have to have a core set of values, and I tell this to to anybody that is going into management or becoming a first time uh, manager of uh, even if it's managing one person, you have to have a core set of values that you stick by, uh, and those core set of values need to guide you as you manage other people. Um, and there, there's you can debate what that core set of values should be uh, I think there are different ways to to go about it from my standpoint it's there's there's some really simple pieces uh, that I live by one is always do the right thing um, now I know you know a lot of people say that um, but if you have that in the back of your head when you're dealing with an employee who who is you know not happy about something or wants this or wants that if you have that thought, always do the right thing, then in the end, you will feel comfortable with decisions. Um, another one is, is always be honest and always be upfront. Uh, there are a lot of managers that do not disclose um, information to folks that work for them for whatever reason, maybe because they're, they're nervous that someone will take it the wrong way. I take the opposite approach. I disclose as much information as possible uh, and sometimes it does backfire. People, <laughs> people will say, wait, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Um, but 
I, I tend to think that's a core value for me. I tend to think that everybody's going to be better off if they know what's going on rather than hearing it from, from a different person or what, whatnot. So honesty, do the right thing uh, from an ethical standpoint. You know, you never, never stray um, uh, in terms of what, you know, your company's values are and so forth. Uh, you know, you work for that organization, so you sign up to to follow their um, moral guidelines and their ethical guidelines. Now, if you you sign up and you come across something that you say this differs, then you got an issue, and and you need to either recon, reconcile that, or you probably you need to move on. Um, people do ask me about that uh, from time to time, and I'm a believer that you know you, who you work for and meaning the, pe- the specific people as well as their core value system there has to match what yours are at least close be pretty close or else you will always be in this this difficult dynamic um so i'm not sure i answered your question no that's but, great that's really helpful it kind of you know i think that's a those are several good points about kind of overall like emotional intelligence and just you there there is a, a roadmap that you can somewhat follow over time if you actually want to become a better manager or you want to work sort of better with your manager that kind of thing i, I love to get uh you know the the organizational development uh side of the things because it it's really important i think you know you spend a lot of time definitely looking at the numbers and you look at you know the science but then there's relationships and things like that that uh you know it's very important as well um what about sort of uh the firm itself like what kind of uh what kind of products and services do you all offer um what type of clients do you you know kind of work best with and maybe just you know broad strokes like uh you know size of the company that kind of thing the bank how big is it um you know take any of those (laughs) sure sure so atlantic union bank is it's about a $17 billion bank today, which in the grand scheme of things is what you'd call a regional bank. Uh, in the grand scheme of banking, traditional banking, you know, you've got small community banks, you've got large community banks, and you have regional banks, and you have super regionals, then you have uh, the big banks. Um, some say the big banks would be big four, big five, um, and so forth. And, and we all compete a little bit differently. Um, you know, I like to think that Atlantic Union Bank, and I'll, I'll back up for a second and just say we're being a regional bank, we're a Virginia-based bank, but we've got a presence from essentially Maryland down to the Carolinas, so we're a mid-Atlantic bank, hence the name Atlantic Union Bank. Uh, it's maybe an, an interesting discussion because we did recently rebrand uh, the bank name last year, early na- last year. Was it just Union? It bank? was it was Union Bank and Trust uh, for many years, and before that, it was some different names through mergers. And the bank's been around since 1907, but uh, we had acquired a bank in 2018 that had a presence in North Carolina, and lo and behold, in North Carolina, there was already a small Union Bank and Trust, so we couldn't use the name in North Carolina. Uh, so, you know, here you are, our CEO and, and uh, the executive leadership team having essentially a fragmented brand 
um, and it's essentially a consumer or retail brand um, that you can only use one name in one state and the state right next to it, you've got to use a different name. So they undertook um, a process and essentially came up with Atlantic Union Bank and then we rolled that out last year and we did both you know, um, numerous forms of marketing and so forth, both traditional and non-traditional. Uh, and even to this day, we're still, I mean, it's, I think we're probably nine months into the rebranding I could have that wrong, um, could, could be off by a month or two. Um, and we're still having to, to talk about the new name and I still have people that will say the Union Bank and Trust, I'll still see a document that says that. So it's, uh, I think we'll probably be dealing with that for some time. Um, so we're a regional bank. Uh, what I like about uh, Atlantic Union Bank and the reason I'm here is aside from the story um, I've spent most of my career at larger institutions and larger banks. Uh, what I liked about Union was we have, uh, in this day and age, we have a, a, we're able to essentially have the technology that the larger institutions have, but we still have that local feel and a smaller feel. We're not so big that everything has become um, essentially a number. And um, while numbers, of course, I mean, you shouldn't hear a banker say what I just said, but um, I think numbers are important. We also value the personal touch and having bankers who actually meet with clients and, and listen to them and try to fill their needs. So that's my long way of saying it's, it's we've got the bells and whistles of a larger institution, but we're, we're small enough that we can be nimble and we can actually be somewhat entrepreneurial, which is rare in banking. I mean, banking is, is one of the old line industries that hasn't changed. There's a lot of discussion about that and has been over the last few years about FinTech and uh, how banking is gonna evolve. But, so we're, we're a nice combination. Uh, secondly, I'm, you know, I live in Virginia. I've lived in, in the Commonwealth for um, many years now, going back to probably about 2002. So about 18 years. Um, and we are, you know, Atlantic Union Bank is the largest regionally based Virginia bank. And there used to be a time 20, 30 years ago where Virginia was, had, was a powerhouse for banking. We, there were four or five dominant um, Virginia banks and they all got acquired by other banks. So we're rebuilding, you know, one of those dominant Virginia banks. And there's, sounds a little romantic, but it's, uh, it, it, it really is what we're doing. And it's resonated with a lot of clients and customers. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's been interesting, definitely. And just from kind of like getting the word out and marketing standpoint, we talk a lot about uh, marketing and advertising and sponsorship and just like general communications, what type of things do you think are kind of working the best right now just as you sort of get the word out? Is it, um, do you host events? Are you going and kind of showing up in the community? What, what do you think has been you know, working for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that you know, banks are, are notorious for not being on the cutting edge 
uh, in terms of, of marketing and, and hopefully our, my, my CMO is not listening <laughs> today. Um, but, um, you know, we, we use a lot of traditional methods still. Um, we, we do sponsorships. So today in Hampton Roads and across the state of Virginia, we, we have sponsorships, uh, excuse me, sponsorships with higher education. So a lot of universities, uh, we work like for instance here, Old Dominion University, we're a sponsor of ODU Athletics. Uh, we're a sponsor of the ODU Market uh, Real Estate Market Review, uh, as well as their Innovation and Entrepreneurship Center downtown in downtown Norfolk. Uh, so we do that. We've got our name on uh, a pavilion, the Portsmouth Pavilion. So it's the Atlantic Bank uh, Pavilion. We also, I think, we've we're the presenting sponsor of the Patriotic Festival at the beach. Uh, which is a three-day event uh, where you know a bunch of bands come down and it's about a hundred, couple hundred thousand people over three days. So it's a good way to get the name out and essentially get um, you know more views of our brand. Uh, and then we'll we'll do some some um, lower level stuff. And when I say lower level, I don't mean that as in in um, dollar amount or anything, but in terms of of size, we will. Um, we'll sponsor you know, smaller events and so forth um, but it, it's still very traditional um, you know we do we still do billboard market we still do marketing in newspapers uh, and we do actually find that that um, we, we find some success we can measure some return there um, and of course on the technology front you know we, we do social media media I think we could probably do a better job of it um, and various digital marketing. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's a little bit old-fashioned, uh, and all, every bank is, is similar. Um, I think there are some banks that, that have been a little bit more um, cutting-edge than others. Uh, but banking in itself is, is a little traditional, as you know. I hinted at it earlier. That's really the big discussion right now in banking is, you know, what's going to happen? Um, there, there are these huge changes happening uh, with our customers. You know, as everybody knows, the old model was you had these brick-and-mortar branches that people went into to cash a check, to deposit a check, to get cash, or to come in and talk to someone about a loan application. Uh, and so the model was build out, you know, branches so that you have coverage. Uh, and the decision factor for a lot of customers uh, on where they were going to bank was what was closest that I could walk into. Uh, that's completely changed. Uh, there's still a degree of that. There are still people, uh, business owners that say, well, I need cash occasionally. Uh, so I want to bank with someone that I can go into conveniently. Uh, it's got to be you know, close. But branch traffic, foot traffic, has dropped every year for the, like, the last 10 years. Uh, I think we've seen some stabilization in it, but I think that's just because there's, you're stabilizing at a low number. Um, so the demographics are changing. Uh, your more senior or older generations do still want a branch. They do still want to come in and talk to someone. Whereas under the age of 30, many have never even stepped in a branch. So, wow. What um, a thought. 
yeah, it's, it's changing dramatically. And then, you know, you've got these large technology companies uh, that are starting to put banking in their strategic plans. Um, and, you know, like the Apples of the world, like the Googles, and essentially, I think they envision a world where everything goes through them on the front end, and they partner with a, ba- a bank on the back end who does all, all the work on the back end, but really doesn't own the customer. So whoever owns the customer in that case tends to own more of the wallet. Uh, and so there's a lot of change going on there. And you know, I think it, it certainly makes a lot of traditional bankers nervous. Uh, it, there's gonna be change no matter what, it's just how it evolves. Uh, on top of that, you've got the regulatory piece. Banking is highly regulated by the government. There are numerous government entities that are set up to specifically regulate banks. So that's that's probably the sole one of the sole reasons that the industry has not uh, changed dramatically yet. Uh, I still see some significant change coming. Uh, it's just a matter of when and how. So. Yeah. No. I think those are great points and. Yeah, I thought about that not too long ago, kind of coming from the industry about, you know, the the banking industry as a whole, and just like, you know, the different value propositions. And I definitely, it seems like even where we are today, <clears throat> doing a podcast and this being kind of an audio um, conversation, you know, it seems like that with whether you're talking balances and uh, you know anything interest rates you it kind of just seems like going in a audio format could be like really something that seen and I'm sure that it's already happening to some degree already but just being able to quickly say you know what's my loan payment or you know what's my balance on this thing and, and kind of you know you know, somewhat competing with some of that, uh, the tech strategy to some degree, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of, it seems like it will take time for that to happen, but I guess you never really know, um, how fast or, or how slow something like that could, could happen. So that's really, that's really interesting and very similar probably on a retail side, um, just from a product side of things like product, you know, making it more convenient for customers, making it easier for them to have a good experience. It's like the name of the game. Um, so yeah, I'm so thankful for your time. Maybe um, what are some things you're excited about for the new year? Uh, any initiatives or rollouts, product offerings, anything you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, number one, thank you for having me here today. It's It's been great. And you and I have had, a, had, had uh, some history we've We've talked a few times and we met a few years ago and it's been exciting for me to see your organization and your, your business uh, evolve and develop and even talking to you today. It's, it's, uh, my interest, I said it earlier, is, is peaked because you've, you've certainly evolved certain aspects of your business, which uh, is, is really positive to me. Um, you know, from my standpoint, I, you know, where Atlantic Union Bank is, in the state of Virginia and in the Commonwealth, I think we're, you know, we're really building something that's in itself is exciting. Now, we briefly touched on the the, the changes ongoing, and I, I think 
banking is ripe for technological change. What you just said, uh, we don't do a great job of making it easy for our customers. Um, and our pres the president of our bank, Maria Tedesco, that's her sole, sole driving um, factor is we need to make things easier for our customers. Um, and so that's exciting to hear that because that, you know, that's how you get displaced is when you've, you, you haven't changed or evolved or used technology to make things easier. Uh, it has to be simpler for, for customers uh, or else you'll get displaced. Uh, and I think that's, you know, just knowing that you got to do that and evolve is, is key, but you also got to follow through. So we're, we've got a lot of initiatives that we're, we're undertaking on the digital side to try to make things easier, exactly what you just said not have to go into a branch, not have to fill out a hundred forms, not have to sign this or that, and then follow up with more discussions, like buying a house, getting a, a home mortgage. Um, some of that is, is driven by the regulatory environment, uh, but some of that's on us, the banks, that we need to evolve and make it easier and, and explore digital avenues to, to help you know, from that standpoint. So that's exciting. Um, but. You know, we're in a good economy. Uh, most businesses are doing well. You just mentioned retail. Retail's going through a major trans transition and transformation. Um, you get, you know, you pick up the paper or read online of another large uh, retailer, uh, national retailer that's going out of business and you think, well, what's going on? And I tend to think that it's not that uh, retail is you know, those brands or retail is, is dying, which you sometimes hear people say, uh, I just think we're going through a, a brand transition. I think you have a lot of old brands that never changed, didn't adapt, uh, and were operating under one model. And those brands can, are finding that they can't operate any, any longer under that one model. And they, it's just too difficult for them to change. And so I think you're going to see a lot of new brands pop up uh, and become more dominant. Uh, some, you know, exactly what you're doing here, which is, you know, while you, there's a story behind it, you're also creating a brand that, you know, could be the next big brand that has, you know, however many stores and, uh, you know, a multi-channel effort in terms of distribution. So uh, I tend to think retail it's an exciting time because there's massive transformation going on and transition. So, and where can the listeners, if they are, you know, CFOs out there, CEOs, uh, you know, operators that you know want to uh, kind of learn more about uh, your bank and your bankers, where would you have them reach out and connect? Sure, AtlanticUnionBank.com is our website, and I think they're. You know, depending upon your location and if, if we service your geography, there's a way to go in and, and click on the location and get linked up to, you know, a market president such as me. Um, I think that would be the best way. You know, from my standpoint, a regional bank, you know, is, is a perfect combination of larger institution with bells and whistles from a technology standpoint, but you still get a personal touch. Um, and so that's that's my my pitch for the regional bank. Love it. Thank you again so much for doing this. Thank you, Anthony.